It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss this devastating fifth episode of the third season of USA's Colony. This one was called End of the Road. Oh, my God, Paul. I literally clutched my pearls when I watched this. I... I grabbed my chest. I was I was like sitting back. I watched this one alone and I it was like two in the morning and I ran into into our bedroom was like, are you awake? Are you awake? Are you awake? (laughs) (laughs) Because I was like devastated. This was honestly the worst outcome I could have seen coming. Yeah, kind of thought given the way that the rest of the show had gone, the Bowmans were in TV terms safe. And so taking one of the kids was totally not on the board for me. Here's the deal. One of the kids, please. Taking Charlie right. is the heartbreaking thing. If Bram got killed, it would have been sad. Gracie, tragic. But, but Charlie. Charlie, who we searched for the entire first season, who you and I have created numerous theories about how this kid was going to be the savior and the hero of it all. We never thought Gracie was going to be the savior and hero of it all. Now, let me ask you a question, Paul. Okay. We have seen a large turn of entertainment choices where females have been given the heroic role. True. Have we overlooked Gracie? She's still being portrayed as very little here. So it's not when you're, when you're, I mean, if you're watching an adult show like Colony, then kids below a certain age are just sort of kids, right? It's not important whether they're boy or girl, right? Because it's all kind of the same to me. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that's a big feminist statement to make Gracie like a nine-year-old some sort of action hero. I mean, that would make, I don't know, kind of. It would feel like you're kind of alluding to a little forced and and a product of of these current times we're in right now. I, I don't want to say anything that alienates listeners. I'm just agreeing with Caroline that I don't know. I'm just saying that we've overlooked Gracie the entire time, and you know, it. I said she looked a lot more grown up this season. Yeah. So if Charlie is out of the picture, there's nothing about the adult Bowman's or Bram that I feel like spells. This the the secret twist. I mean, it really, honestly, if Will turns out to be the hero of the day, well, that's not a surprise. I mean, he was he was lined up to be it the whole time. Even if they make Katie be the hero of the whole day, again, not a surprise. No real twist in the whole thing. You know, I mean, we'd be like, okay, I mean, I really wasn't behind that, but it wouldn't shock me. Gracie would be the only you came out of nowhere with that and totally surprised me with this ending. It would ruin the show. <laughs> oh, no. I'm would, definitely not saying that. I think it would. Uh, I'm not. Because she had all she, that Lindsay stuff and I don't know. Right. I mean, if this show were to end this season and she's somehow heroic in like 10 episodes from now, I mean, she gave, she cracked under interrogation. She is just a little kid. She's still thinking the Lindsay had a good point about certain yeah, but uh, I feel greatest like day stuff. Maybe she will understand that greatest day stuff in a way that nobody else does. 
that maybe she will have some little key nugget of information and and help figure it out. I have no idea, but obviously- That I'm cool with. Pitching I'm, in, I'm cool with. Pitching Be- in, pitching in. I'll go with that. I can, I can totally abide by a pitch in. I am devastated, devastated, devastated about Charlie, but let's get started on this beginning portion with- our cold open. We don't typically go in order, you guys, but the way that these different sections chunk out, it sort of ends up being somewhat chronological. Yeah, there's there's a lot of the character stories, except for Vince's story, end up being just sectioned out just by the way that they they uh, were told. So um, this cold open finally shows us who Bugs Bunny was. Yeah, we do get to see him. And so it turns out that they did have this planned uh, extraction of the rap between McGregor, Vince, and Bugs Bunny guy. Well, and apparently a bunch of other nameless people that we'll never meet because they died. Yes, and they portray McGregor as a massive... Coward, right. They show him just kind of huddled together in this cave, clutching his gun, surprised to see that anyone else made it out alive, possibly because he was never that close to the fighting in the first place. Nice. You know? Yes. So, uh, yeah, Vince, I almost didn't even recognize because he was so, he didn't look like his professor version of himself. You know, he, he looked, uh, by professor, I mean like the guy we know now. I know what you mean. Yeah, the um, the, the graying yeah. sides and the, and the way... I almost feel like he sustained some sort of brain damage in this entire thing because brain damage. Paul, he is like PTSD kind of stuff, or I don't know. He is frightening the way that he has like multiple personalities, like frightening. Like he will go from like you need to listen to me. I'm gonna get this interrogation done, and I've got my ways. Like he's this wicked torturer, freak out like Saeed kind of guy, right? Right. And then he has these other times. Where he's like, you know, I don't know who to follow anymore. You think I should do that instead? I'll just do that instead. He's like the Play-Doh of lieutenants, <laughs> right? But but he also has these moments of trying to portray that he's like this, like really aggressively, like has this dark side to him that like we we're never shown. But like it's implied that he's like this, he's just this interrogator that just could well, just really break you. We do learn that Bugs fell at Vince's hand by manipulations of McGregor. So that's, I mean, if you were Vince living with that and then having doubts about McGregor, yeah, you'd have some pretty like cloudy thoughts about your past. For sure. Uh, but I'm, that's why I'm going with like, maybe that's the PTSD part or whatever. I'm saying the way that he behaves the rest of the time. I just find it like he's just a weird dude. Like I, I if I knowing him now as well as we do, like I would cross to the other side of the street it's, with him. He, yeah, he's yeah. a weird. He's a really he's probably one of the most dangerous type people ever because he's so um vacillates from both sides and and in a way that's like without any apparent good for himself or anyone else it's just he just whichever way the wind blows he just goes that way i kind of look at it i i see him through a more familiar lens in that i think that he's probably the smartest guy there just i don't know the way he holds himself and talks and stuff like that it seems like he's the smartest guy there but he's also Gullible and manipulatable, manipulable, if you will. Oh, when you say it's a familiar lens, yeah, yeah, I, I feel like I could have been Vince in some ways. Like, yeah, he's he's smart, but 
But depending on who he talks to, yeah, I'll go that direction. The next person talks to him, okay, that sounds good. I'll go that direction, <laughs> you know? But see, then I don't think that that's, and I'm not, I'm not speaking about you, okay? Like, mm. we're going to stop acting like we're talking about you. I don't think that that's smart. Like, you can't just, you, okay. facts can't be that malleable. Facts can't be that malleable. Like, if Vince is so smart that he, like, understands and grasps these concepts and really gets what's going on with everybody, I just don't think that he could completely go one way or the other, again, without benefit to himself. Because, like, with the whole Bowman situation, it's like, whether he goes with the Bowmans or with, with, with McGregor, he doesn't seem to be making these choices based on, like, who can give me a better life, who's going to take care of me in the future. It's like, just in the moment. We're like, so why, why am I saying that? Because because I want to make a distinction between someone like Snyder, who goes between both sides for different reasons. He does it because of, of being strategic. Vince is doing it like seemingly just because, you know, I, someone's convinced him in the moment. Again, I mean, if I'm looking at him like, well, that's who I would be in this story, then I'm feeling more like, you know, that you've got stuff con to contribute, but you're not a leader. And you also, at the same time, want to feel like you've made up your own mind about something, but you, but you're constantly taking in new information. You know, McGregor's like set in stone about his his way of looking at things, and I think that's when I look at that, I think that's even more dangerous. I recognize that's kind of how leaders have to operate. They're like, you know, right or wrong, this is the way we're going. But I identify more with Vince's like, well, but I just found this out kind of kind of way of looking at things. And I guess because things are moving so quickly, I, I mean, I can give Vince a pass in terms of like, you know, information is coming in so quickly that like as you take in the information, you may change what you're thinking about it. I just don't like it how he does it like so completely like killing someone over that 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 moment is sort of like, oh man, you know, like, you that know, was a bad it, choice. It, it, well, it's just so final. And it's so like, you didn't really even know what was going to, what the next nugget of information was going to be. Some people could say, well, that makes him very decisive or whatever, but he's not. It's like, mm -mm. so it's, I, I don't know. I, he's a difficult character for me to, to grapple with, you know? But that's uh, that's the opening. We we see we meet Bugs. We see that he does not trust McGregor at all. But he's still going along with the program, dragging along what we know as the click. We know what we really call a rap still internally within our own <laughs> fan group. Click right. did not click with, yeah, with me. No, it certainly doesn't have any staying power. I don't think any of us will will be like, hey, do you remember that story about the clicks? <laughs> right, <laughs> like, I don't right. I don't see that happening. No. I did appreciate that they did this uh, waterfall conversation because it did harken back to the initial conversation where Will explains that they go by these waterfall areas, right? Or by the river, I should say, where the, the the noise is loud enough, right? Yeah. To drown out the other sound. Well, I like that they actually bothered to tie some of this stuff together. Like they very purposely went down by the waterfall where it was noisy. Oh, when I saw that, I thought, Vince, you're dead right now. I, mean, I did too. He's giving you a last drink. Uh, he's 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 alone with you. He's pissed at you. You're already on his shit list. So bye, Vince. Yeah. And also McGregor was very quick. Like when, even when things look a little bit hazy, he's very quick to be like, you you need to get off the fence. Who are you going to follow? Me or him? Me or him? Like he's very quick to like demand allegiance, which 
is an interesting strategy with Vince because Vince is not good at making up his mind on the spot. So it's like someone else needs to make it up for him and then he moves forward. McGregor was almost, it feels like he was written intentionally, probably, hopefully very two-dimensionally, one-dimensionally. Like he's like, like you just said, he, he he relies on these kind of leadership pamphlet kind of yes. um, directives. Like this goes this way, then tell him you must demand allegiance right then. You know, like right. that, that sort of thing. It's like he's written. It's like they 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 put like Castro and Kim Jong Un or something like all in like one mixture and spat out McGregor like and came out with just the canned things that a person like that would would say. Exactly. And and I mean, I mean, the key to that is like the attitude of we got to save the human race. This is about this is them confusing us. And, you know, that kind of talk that's like so grandiose, you know, that it's like hard to wrap. You can't disagree with him because the things he says are always like they always are like, if you disagree, well, you'd sound like a crazy person. But it's like the way he says them are like, well, but I this doesn't even really relate to that. Like I can still not choose to kill bugs and also still want the humans to survive like you're you you make these fake you know ultimatums of like if this doesn't happen then this is gonna happen you know and you're like wait what this conversation did make me identify a little less with vincent because of the part where mcgregor's basically saying oh this is all just one long con they're double oh, agents and they're just here as a setup well let's get into that a little bit more how so, he believed that for a second was I, crazy well and that's what makes me wonder what's going on with vince and and if you watch his face in those times like his face will be like listening to mcgregor and then his face is almost like childlike like he's like what they're running the long con oh my <laughs> god i had no idea mac i didn't know like it's just it's it's too far like he never stays kind of like an adult man who has experienced a lot of things he he vacillates between this like very hard ass to like almost childlike it's it's mm -hmm. weird it's a weird personality I, I don't know it's strange so they decide though that because apparently vince has this like massive interrogation background what <laughs> that he is going to be able to break the bowmans you could maybe see him in the in the past as what what would that be like i don't know wasn't there a character he doesn't seem like a cop well wasn't there a character who wasn't saeed but he was gosh he was on the other side and he was an interrogator and he would give them the 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 drink no and it was had, an injection okay an injunction he would give them an injection the guy from newhart and he was kind of that weird kind of like almost just like more sadistic than like powerful if you know what i mean like the difference between that like he's not he's not an interrogator who's going to punch you in the face but he but he does know exactly on your body where to like pinch something onto it you know like right. he he's more like sadistic than that and like i could kind of see vince maybe at some point in time having more that like i don't know what science doctor psychology some kind of background that allows him to know something about like human weakness okay that isn't the same you're as right. he is a psychologist that's mm -hmm. that's what he is and so then that's where i think that that is he's just like you said he's a manipulator but it kind of it's weird because i guess we think of interrogator as more like also like an enforcer mm. you know like yeah. somebody who is who is like willing to do something more um 
Let's talk a little bit more about Vince and how he plays through all this before we get to the interrogations, because Vince has a strange combination of events in this. He he does. Because <laughs> he bounces from all different sides yeah, of the story. He does. So we have this whole thing where he does manage to talk his way out of getting killed with McGregor, which was quite a shock, right? Uh, especially since McGregor probably figures himself to be some master talker. So for him to say, no, no, actually I can break them with my superior interrogation skills and McGregor to, to believe that and get, you know, decide against killing him right then was a little surprising because we do see McGregor work on the kids later, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. That boy, the boy was that conversation strange. That part where um, you know, you're saying the long con, and he's saying, and then Vince like offers up like a misinformation campaign. Right. Like he like offers that up, and you're like, Wait, like what? wink, what? <laughs> right? Odd. Okay, so he does agree to interrogate the adult Bowmans and Snyder, um, but he also has a moment where he decides to go and interact with the rap because you know we've had this whole thing going on for probably the last episode or so of like this whole idea of we're going to destroy the rap. What did you think about this interaction with the rap, and, and what what is up with this? Ballsy, but it represents that he is being manipulated right then by by Snyder, but he's also starting to think for himself. So, you know, he'd been told to s- probably stay away from the rap, and now, now the rap is just on the floor in the shed. He's not really, like, in McGregor's house anymore. Or, yeah, really being watched nearly as much. But he, he felt like he had to give one last try, like, like before your execution, please Give me something. So what do you think happened? He's like Mulder. I want to believe. What do you think happened between him and the rap? What do you think happened? The rap was only glowing. The only thing that we saw from Vince's point of view, which is what the viewer's point of view was, was glowing in response to the questions being asked. But the way that his eyes kind of... He, they didn't stay the same size. His eyes kind of widened as as mm-hmm. they went. Right. It made me think maybe... Just maybe there was some something being communicated there, you know, telepathy, ex- right? Extrasensory, right? Right, for sure. That's what I assumed too, because it didn't just glow steady. It would, it would kind of like come in and out as if it was almost like words or phrases or sentiments or something like, you know, it kind of like how Chewy Chewbacca talks, yeah. you know, where you can't understand it, but the cadence of it, you kind of are like, oh, I kind of get that he's like saying a sentence or right. whatever. And so the glowing and the in and out, I was kind of like, okay, so this is trying to say something. I can't imagine what it told him except for just reinforcing what he had already heard. I mean, I don't know that it really was anything different because he was in there when, right, when the Bowmans and and the Gauntlet and McGregor stuff happened. So if it just repeated itself. It would have been funny if if the thought was actually like, what's Dallas? Oh, my God. See, that would have been funny. That would have been awesome. Uh, But I'm sure it was, I'm sure it wasn't like that because that, I mean, even, even if it was just like a single Word or maybe it was like an image, you know, kind of oh, like a, maybe an, an image, image. I like that. Uh, just you know, glass where Texas used to be, kind of thing. I really like the idea of an image. That seems cool because I mean, he was like, you know, tell me about Dallas. And words are just harder. Just a picture. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like it would be easier to capture with a with 
machinery, you know, that With what that, was seen. Yeah. Right. Just, mm, I like that. I like that. Okay. So maybe he was shown some sort of visual something yeah. of, of this. Right. I like that. Okay. Oh, you know what? I wanted to mention one thing since we're like really focusing on Vince and like all of his shenanigans. Didn't it almost seem like when Mac said, it's time for you to be a soldier, when he saluted, when Vince saluted, mm-hmm. didn't that feel kind of disgusting? Like, like he, Almost mm. said like a like a code word to him, or no. something. I oh, didn't get that. You have at all. to rewatch that scene. Then I got it. I got it the same way. The, the, that a, a teenager salutes their parents. So sarcasm? Not exactly sarcasm. More like, more like a, a momentary rebellion. Like, all right, you're bossing me around, or something like that. I'll, I'll give you what you need right now. I, I did not get it like no disgust there, was not it. I, I felt I felt really weird. Like the hair went up on my arms kind of weird. Like that was a really weird the whole way he did it. He didn't just bring his arm up and touch his forehead. He did the whole body, whole show, whole thing. And they even backed the camera off to show his whole body. It was it was a strange response. Right. He didn't just say, yes, sir. He did that whole, oh gosh, I don't know. It, it was weird. I mean, I know the man's not long for this world. So, I mean, it's not like we have to get into him anymore or that we're going to get any, any information. Do you think that, that implies he was actually military? I mean, or do you think he was just, he's seen enough movie I and think, TVs? I think it plays into our PTSD. And it's almost like McGregor said something that meant more to him and he was drawing on something else in that moment because he it again it almost looked like an out-of-body experience it didn't even look like the same character we had been watching all of a sudden he did something that was so out of character was like that was weird i mean the rest of the time you described him like a professor like a little not somebody who would do the sarcastic body movement gesture to him i don't know no it was not sarcasm it's just more like you know we're not in the military i'm not a soldier so I guess mm-hmm. there, is, sarcasm. there is some I mean, smart aleckness to it. And he just, there's no part of him that's been smart alecky. Everything about him has been this, this like, oh, you want me to be like that now? Then I'm going to go full on and be like that. Oh, you want me to be a soldier now? But there was no sincerity to it. I think it was hollow, but in a scary way. Hollow like Vince isn't here now. Right. When you said that, like, it's just like he wasn't like he checked out in that moment. So I agree with you. No sincerity. But like spooky, no sincerity. Mm. I got just like anger and spitefulness and that kind of stuff. You were saying about the manipulation by Snyder. We can get all into that now into the Snyder interrogation. So let's start about our interrogation, starting with Katie and working through our Bowmans here. So I don't know if it's a distaste for hurting women. I doubt it because they seem to show a willingness to hurt kids. So in my book, hurting kids is worse than hurting women. More hurting women, so um, they good to know. They just kind of go easy on on Katie in comparison to to everybody else, right? Uh, they just ask her a couple softball questions, and she how how to say it? She does what she had been doing all along. She tells a version of their story, right? Not like the whole facts. Um, it's very interesting how they managed to tell a whole lot about their story, both Will and Katie, without having to give away that Will was in his old job. 
they know though that because he has military background, they ask her point blank. They said, "How how would a guy like Will have managed to stick around?" And they know that he has background. And then she's like, "Well, because we took the name Sullivan." Yeah, they explain so, all that, but I, I mean, his his role with the authority, they oh, ma- they managed to avoid all of that. Sure, yeah, in, in this way that was uh, very tricky, and it's cool that they, yeah, they did never, it in tandem without being able to communicate with each other. Yeah, and they never they never really. I mean, they said their connection to Snyder, obviously Will does later, but um, but you're right without giving up that he like worked with them. Exactly. So that that was that was a pretty crafty, you know, way to answer these questions. So you're right that Katie Katie just gave the the same background again. The trouble area started coming when we started talking with the kids and McGregor handled this not Vince. McGregor started out in a very paternal but angry father sort of yeah disciplinary kind of way sort of mode and he moved quickly into i'll just rip you guys apart if you don't start talking um and i was a little surprised to see charlie kind of cower but i believe that that was not charlie cowering as much as just showing him what he wanted to see in that moment but unfortunately it was too much for gracie to see her brother getting attacked like this charlie's been through been through this unfortunately in his 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 yeah but i think you're right i think the best way to not get hit is not to not to stick your chin out at the person and act like oh yeah give me more i think the best way to not get hit is to kind of duck your head a little bit and act a little bit like you know oh i'm so intimidated with kids like snyder said this selective mutism is you know it it's not heroic exactly but it, it does get you through it which is the only important part of interrogation right getting through it oh absolutely absolutely buying time for something else to happen honestly buying time to hope that somebody else gets somewhere along the way so the information does leak out though that you know charlie tries this mess about the green zone which that seemed dismal as soon as he started saying that i was like oh man this whole thing about being a friend in the green yeah i was like oh man charlie this is i your parents are never going to know to back you on such a weird story you know this is not this is not going to go very well so yeah, they break. She, she gives up that Charlie been in Santa Monica, which then gets them back into Will's room. Will, there's a moment there. There's, there's like a second hesitation where he was either going to get it wrong and not back the story or or get it right. And he got it right. He he told what he needed to tell all the, you know, these these people outside the wall. How much can they actually know about how hard it would be to get in between blocks? You know what I mean? So they could fudge that story a little bit and still make it work. And he did. So good. The trouble came when Bram was discovered, though. That's when the dynamics of the whole will interrogation went sideways on him. It didn't. He couldn't really talk his way out of this anymore. They'd found the guy with the blasting caps, caps, detonators, whatever the right terminology is. They kept is. calling them blasting caps. I don't know. If that's what that means exactly. Incidentally, yes. One of our listeners informed me yes. via Facebook, yes, that if you recall last week, I said I don't know if fire is, is related to this kind of bomb. You know, if it's if it is dangerous to this right, kind of bomb to and like have a fire nearby. He said no. It's definitely not. It's not not the way that this kind of this kind of uh, it's a chemical reaction. reaction. Okay, uh, yeah. works. So, yeah, that was a perfectly good. Uh, distraction. Yeah, all right, two points to Bram for yeah. a, for a safe distraction choice. Yes, good job, Bram. Yes, but 
bad news with this whole part here. I, I uh, mean, Russian this, roulette with your kid is always going to crack you. Paul, this scene was actually one of the very best tension scenes I think that we've had in this entire series. I mean, when he actually pulled the trigger and it clicked, I mean, we've had lots and lots and lots of scenes with someone with a gun to their head, mm-hmm. but never where they click and then spin the spin it again like that that was legitimately like oh my god this guy is diabolical you know and so i mean and i thought that will's response was as genuine you know as we've seen in any of the the other scenes of of like this is real like this is the moment we've all run and run and run and run run there's no squirming out of this like this is actually the end you know literally as they say in the end of the road this is the end of the road here and i i felt that in that scene it was stressful a comparable scene in carlton q's background might be the scene where kimi kills alex ben's daughter Ben has a moment to react and he tries to talk his way out of it, but Kimi's resolve is just just too much and he, and he kills her. That scene tells me the storytellers in charge of this story have killed kids before. True. And so Will does not have that, that ability like Ben had to just see his kid in peril like that. So he gives up Snyder. And I can't blame him. Me neither. And honestly, I thought we were going to lose Bram. I mean, I when the name of the episode's "End of the Road," I, you know, I I really thought Bram was was going to die in this episode, um, or at least get very close to or something. If if you had told me someone's going to die in this episode, that's who I would have thought was was going to be it because he has done a lot. He's actually done a lot, and I think it would affect, um, you know, Katie and and Will's relationship in a way. And we already had so much happen to Charlie. Like, it didn't make sense to go back to Charlie again. Yeah. You know, so it's like we already, you know, already drank from that well. Like, it seemed like, why would we not have one of the other characters? Now that I think about it, if I was Will and I had this useless guy in my family cabin, I could rationalize it by saying sometime down the road, he is going to be our get out of jail free card. What are you talking about? Snyder. Okay. I thought you were talking about Bram. And I was no, like, oh, not Bram. Bram's oh your son. Oh my God. What are you talking about? Bram gets a pass. Snyder is extra. <laughs> and, you know, there's only so much carrying around oh, water course. skins that's going to, you know, water make him skins. make him valuable. No, you're right. And and everybody knew that. Like it was always. Snyder knew it too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It was always uh, like, we'll carry you for as long as we can, but then that's it. Snyder knew that the whole time when he was saying, we need to leave, we need to leave, we need to leave because someone's going to break here. Someone's going to figure it out. And once you're connected to me, like this is all over for everybody. And he was a hundred percent right because they end up sentencing the three adult Bowmans to death at the rifle range, which was scary and sad. And again, end of the road, you know, to actually see those. Um, I'm not sure the proper name for them, and I probably should. But like at a rifle range, when you have those the squares that are like are, have been used as the backing yeah. uh, for for whatever to be up against. Like, oh, wow. I mean, and it was all shot up. It just. It felt like we were really getting close, you know, like that felt scary. Let me be a touch more accurate on what made Will break. Yes, please. It wasn't only that he was playing Russian roulette with Bram's skull. It was that he said, when we're done with him, we're going to go find your daughter. 
That's when he broke. That was the, I agree with you. That was the worst. Because there were several, I mean, I have said in this podcast uh, the last last time and on the radio show, that pedophilia stuff with McGregor, I I believe it. I, I don't think the FBI needed to dig too hard to make that true. You know what I mean? Oh, that's scary. So I see what you're saying. Now. They kept they kept putting McGregor with the kids. They kept then they oh, say, I'm gonna God. go find your daughter. Then later on oh. with the execution or the sentencing, he says, I'll take care of your kids. And that whole time I'm thinking back oh. to that pedophilia stuff and I'm thinking, Fuck, you know. Oh uh, my god. Yeah, that that is a layer that you're right, is like extra insane. And and I mean, yeah, wow. As a viewer, I mean Ick. Will doesn't know that he was accused of pedophilia, but right. as a viewer, you're right. We You could put those things together. It turns the screws a little bit more as a viewer, for sure. Wow. That's intense, Paul. Well, let's talk a little bit about Snyder. Snyder he is interrogated. such a yes. huge episode for him um, in terms of, you know, what what is the next steps for him? What What is happening? Pivotal episode. And man, he is so smart. I mean... He even says it. I'm not a brave man. I'm a smart man, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I mean, I wrote down so much, you know, of what he said. You know, when he when they came in, they said, who gave me up? You know? Yeah. Like, it was so instant. Well, and you know what? I guess it's because, you know, they wouldn't start questioning him until one of the other Bowman said something. So it's like, it, until, until they knew something about him, they wouldn't come in because they didn't have any dirt on him yet. Until they did, then it wasn't worth interrogating him yet, you know? Those two, the Bowmans, had, had raised the most rabble, right? Whereas Snyder had wisely remained in the shadows and the background, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, he wouldn't have stood out as a priority right then. But once they came to him, I'm saying it's clear that they were done with the Bowmans. Right. Which yeah. meant, you know, probably all was lost for Snyder. So let's talk about Uncle Alan here. I mean, I felt like he did a really good job of explaining a, a lot. superior job. I mean, shit. I, I mean, I really appreciated the the explanations he was giving, um, you know, that they're not exterminating mankind, that, uh, you know, we're dying just because we're their labor and, you know, their methods are harsh. Yeah, and, and it's difficult on our bodies, but but it, it isn't anything like, you know, like they're not coming to kill us. I, I thought it was so... This is a lot further along than the quote-unquote rumors he didn't want to spread in the cabin, right? Well, there's a lot of rumors at the IGA. He was giving this stuff out like, there's two sides, neither side cares about us, they're not killing us on purpose, we're just dying in the process... Um, and he's spelling out a lot of things that I think he was kind of selling as rumors ahead of time. Well, and especially like I think the idea that if you just he used the word bunker down um, and find a way to just stay out of the crossfire right, right send now. Don't bombs, don't kill raps. That right. Kind of don't stuff. draw any attention to you guys. And 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 the the crossed fingers hope what's going to happen is that these these two alien races duke it out and whoever manages to survive their you know, intergalactic war, then you guys are the survivors. So there's no reason to think that you as the humans can possibly really affect what's going to happen. All you're going to do is make them mad. Right. And that's that's when the whole discussion about destroying the rap cams comes back and how, what a colossally bad idea 
that would be. And he made it so much more clear. We had discussed in previous podcasts that we assumed that maybe there weren't actually that many raps. And that's why we have to be labor. And that's why it's such a sensitive thing about when they die. But he put a number to it. I mean, he said that, you know, there's only a couple hundred. So and I mean, he's obviously discussing not their their machinery, but the glowing ball and the, and the fact that it's like a consciousness, which we we all pretty much had gathered. You know, I feel like as a colony fan base, you know, we pretty much had figured out that that glowing ball represented some sort of consciousness of something and it made sense that they were so like voraciously willing to obliterate all of dallas over one being killed if you look at it from a the perspective of what if our race was virtually extinct down to a couple hundred people would we just be like well you know what we can make with our own two hands i guess that's what we'll do or would we be the harshest motherfuckers around just to try to survive well and the reality is is that those that would have survived to that point would be hard cases for sure yeah they would have to be because that's the only way that that they had survived to this point so there's no way that they would put up with having these underlings bumble around and destroy one of us after you know it's essentially sort of like walking dead or whatever like if you make it to this point each one individual death is a big deal because people made it this far in all kinds of uh speculative fiction that i've ever read when you are dealing with a race that is either made themselves kind of immortal, right? They've they've uploaded or they've managed to make bodies that just never die or have replaceable parts or whatever like that. Once you get to be a few hundred years old, there's there's a lot less caring about stuff. You know, it's like when you talk to very old grandparents, right? How, yeah. how when it comes to like life events are like that's spectacular. Anyway, you know. Well, I think it's just because I mean, you've seen so many and you've right. seen so many things and you've seen how time marches on. You know, you you like when people are are sobbing over a death or something, it frequently the older people are not. And if you They're are a lot more stoic. If you live in a ball that can just be moved from one body to the next and you can just keep going as long as they don't run out of bodies, then you will see so much more than we can even fathom right. that caring about one individual person, human, mm-hmm. whatever, would all of a sudden be a very fleeting, if anything, event in your life. I really liked this next conversation that they had. And I do feel like, you know, if you if Colony was built on a couple of premises, one of being, you know, would you resist or would you collaborate? One of the major themes and premises of this show was the idea of being moral versus being pragmatic. Can you be a pragmatist and be a good person? Can you be a moral person and do the things that you you have to do to survive? Mm-hmm. And I thought that this conversation that he has was saying that uh, Snyder was calling himself a pragmatist, but he, that he was not a good man because he was basically, to me, drawing the line that like if you do what needs to be done when it has to be done, that doesn't go hand in hand with being, quote unquote, good. You know, mm-hmm. like it's necessary, but that's not necessarily good. Because good and bad, right and wrong kind of exists on its own uh, standard, I guess, independent of the situation. And and him trying to explain this to Vince and explaining, you know, the fact that he felt that Vince was a moral man. And, and in that case, you know, while it might go against your like code of ethics right now, your loyalty to McGregor or your loyalty to, you know, the, the cause right here now, your greater morals would say if you could save every man, woman and child in the entire northwest part of the country, 
that's got to be the greater good, you know, and if you have to think of the greater good on the like the morality kind of way, then you have to be willing to step away a little bit. But you're, you can still be moral. You know, that's actually the, the higher moral calling, I guess. To me, though, that's a pragmatist definition of morality. OK, because he really is still defining morality in terms of what's necessary, <laughs> you know, like it's better to save a lot of people than it is to save one person. Mm -hmm. And I think you could make an argument. This is not my personal argument, but so I may, I may have a difficult time with this, but you could say, no, each individual life and each and caring about someone here in the camp is actually, it's more moral for me to protect my friend, my one friend here than hundreds of strangers I don't know. Yeah. Morality, again, is like, well, what do you value more? What is more important, one life or, you know, millions over here? Just like in Infinity War. There you go. Talk about it. Go ahead. Dr. Strange, right? He gives up the time stone and his argument to Tony is that one life should matter, right? Because before he had said, you know, your life is not going to outweigh everyone else's. And then- you know, it's my belief that he believes that Tony's life is worth all that extra effort because Tony can probably help save all of them. And and I would say, I mean, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Infinity Wars, because it hasn't been out for 10 years, it's only been out a couple of weeks, that Vision and the whole all the efforts that they went through to try to save him as an individual. Right. Was the same thing. It's like yeah. it's it's the individual does have value. And Captain America says the same thing. One person should be worth it. And and so that is a big question here. And I think that I mean I would invite like all of the colony people who actually care to take a moment about this show and go beyond maybe just the individual characters, and then you can get to the historical ramifications of different things that happen. But then on an even different level, what does it mean to be human? And and does one human life matter versus millions? And is being a pragmatist better? Is is that even a thing? Better, or worse? Is it all relative? You know, what do you think? I I would invite all of you guys. We're going to be on talk radio each week. And so even though I know you will catch this particular one after the show airs on Wednesday night, I would really encourage you guys to even call in the following week and tell us, what do you think? What do you think about this idea of like morality, being uh, pragmatic? What, where does this all play in? And like, what does this mean? You know, and I think that here's the interesting thing. For me, the question of is one life worth it? It's funny how like what I think we were saying for the majority of this episode was Charlie's life was worth it. <laughs> right. Right. But like we were willing to be like Bram's life's not so worth it. Like willing, willing for Bram to die if it could have saved everyone else. That's interesting to me. And like who gets to pass judgment on stuff like that? And like, you know, are we just saying that because we feel like Charlie suffered already? And there's there this just felt like beating a dead horse on a on a person who has had so much pain and suffering and including the the Bowman parents. They had so much heartache, so much anguish over Charlie that now after everything to actually lose him was like too many kicks in the head. You know, we mm -hmm. actually have met a family. You guys know we have three special needs kids. We met a family who had a little child who was both deaf and blind and had Down syndrome and we thought, wow, wow, you know, being both deaf and blind, our child is deaf blind. But in addition, having Down syndrome, wow. And then we found out the child also had leukemia. 
And we were like, that's too much. Like, that's too much to put upon one child like this or one person. You know, that's just right. too much. Again, if you're ever feeling like your life is going badly, please think of that family and that child and realize, oh my God, it could be so much worse. That's why I feel like with Charlie, it was like, this was especially heartbreaking because you felt like he had already been through so much. So much of the existing story revolved around around him. I mean, in the pilot, Will would not have been caught if he hadn't been trying to save Charlie from Santa Monica. He was trying to smuggle himself across the border, remember? Yes. And so that's when he was detained and eventually kind of indentured by Proxy Snyder. Everything that happened, everything about their relationship the entire time- Was because of Charlie. Was revolving around saving Charlie. In a way, yes. I mean, the name of this show literally could have been Saving Charlie. Story-wise, I would have liked to see- Charlie pay off at a certain point and we won't get that. It's funny that you bring up the original premise of the marketing for the show, the collaborate or resist stuff, because the way Snyder explains it, it brings up that conversation again, I think, because it's not really even collaborate or resist, right? It's like he explains the presence of the hosts and their adversaries as just a fact. It's like, you know, grass is green, sky is up earth is down the hosts are here and so it's not really like collaborate or resist it's more like get with the program or you're in the way here's the only thing that i would say as a caveat to that i thought he did a really good job when he used this phrase they shot us from space and turned it into glass like that part like the whole like this is so much bigger than your human brain can possibly understand I do understand our sad human idea that if we simply make Earth inhospitable enough, well, it will just make sense for the raps to just move to the next planet then. Even if I completely buy into everything you're saying and that this is an intergalactic war, well, what you've said to me is the reason why this enemy is coming is because the raps decided to take shelter here on Earth. So if really... We don't have anything that they that this other enemy wants besides the fact that we're sheltering the raps. Then if we basically make our harbor so uncomfortable for the raps, if they lose one or two of their very few guys, then maybe they'll be motivated to find a new planet to go bother and want to hunker down on. I can understand the human brain, even with all the information to be able to say, but it's still worth it for us to make it uncomfortable for them. Yeah, but the I think the irony is that the one thing that seems that seems like the most likely thing to make it less Earth less interesting to them is that there's just not enough humans left. And that would be partially because of our own shenanigans causing trouble and them having to retaliate. So that seems to be like funny to me. Like the reason they would leave is that there's just not enough of us left. Yeah. But I mean, but if you would, if you think that or or they're losing too much on their side, they're, they're spending that, too much time yeah. shooting shit from space at us. They're spending too much time chasing after us. They're losing too many drones. Too much crap is happening. Like we're too much trouble. But I agree with you that it's like, would we have to take that 99 percent of the collateral damage? Yes. Are we trying to say that? But it's OK. We actually want to fight for that last 1% to survive. And I've seen lots of stories that do, where they say, we'd rather lose 99% of everybody and start over with what we got left than give up Earth to you. So then that there you go for that one more question that we want you guys to think about. 
would you be willing to lose 99% of the earth rather than give up earth to you? You know, would you, what would you do? I don't know. I mean, we think about that country by country all the time. You know, if somebody came marching down the street, would you fight with your pots and pans and bang them over the head no matter what it took? Or would you go along and just try to be cool for as long as you could, hoping they would go away? Where where would you resist? Collaborate, resist, collaborate. What would you do? What would you do? Super interesting. So we finally find out that the way that they, that Vince is going to be convinced that Maybe that's his name, Paul. Vince Convince. Whoa. Convincible. (laughs) Convincible. Shut your mouth. Look what I just did there. Was basically to tell him that the best way was to get reinforcement. And the reinforcers are? The Grey Hats. Snyder, it's funny. That's a true statement. (laughs) If you mean sort of like a philosophical, like the same people that believe that McGregor shouldn't be in power which is what you believe you can call them and they'll come and and make that happen. It just so happens that they will kill everyone else too. (laughs) Oh, Snyder. I love that. I love that. I always think of that Star Wars line. That's true from a certain point of view. Like, (laughs) and that's how Snyder operated here. That's true from a certain point of view. You need reinforcements for sure. Your, your mission's doomed without someone here to help you. All right, Paul. So he gives him the whole rundown about how to run the radio, which we all realize is supersonic fake. And tell everybody, what does this word Roanoke mean? Roanoke was an American colony that disappeared. It was up and running and everything was okay. And then the next time someone came to visit it or drop off supplies or sell supplies or whatever, I'm not a historian, nobody was there. All their stuff was there, just no people and no evidence of what happened to them. Would you say not unlike when Broussard and Dr. D showed up with just a shoe laying there? Just like that. Exactly like that. Spooky. And it's a cool piece of American history. But if anyone ever gives you the keyword or or password Roanoke, you might say, what does that mean? Because everybody in Roanoke died, so why is that the password? Well, they were what? all just missing. That's more important. We didn't know. We didn't have. We don't have any conclusion of what happened to them. We that's don't true. No, that's even scarier. In they, TV terms, we never saw their bodies. We never saw their bodies, so we don't actually know what happened to everybody there. Although, certainly, we're going to find out a lot more here after the Roanoke. That's it for Vincent. He's done what he's. He has. Did what we kind of suggested he was going to do instead of- He said he was going to be a stepping stone, but boy, did I- I mean, we knew he would be the one to break- and he was going to be the one that the the undoing of how the Bowmans do run, make a run for it. Yeah. It's just not how I thought it was going to happen. And we knew he would die in the process. For sure. We didn't see it happening this way, but that doesn't make us wrong. We just we just had everybody in the wrong spots, but everything happened the same way. <laughs> I wouldn't say we had everyone in the wrong spots. The Bowmans were on the run. Vince was on the inside. He was doing something that essentially unlocked the doors well, because they- now everyone ran. Well, he caused the distraction that allowed the Bowmans to be on. The Let's run. talk about that sound and what they what they did there. What does that mean? What what created that sound? I mean, the, it's coinciding with the gray hats showing up. Do you think it was something that the raps gave them as technology to utilize, or is it something that's what I was that trying to figure our out? Military or our people? I mean, I know we some- do use sound to affect war areas. I mean, the the rap was on low power because he was just connected to some batteries, right? 
But what if he's capable of being charged up wirelessly, but you just have to be in close enough range? What if they get close enough with their mega capacitor and then boom, he goes back live and that's when it's like, you know what I mean? So the rat makes that like yeah, sound himself? When he got turned on the first time, that's when Snyder said the rap's back online. So that's the rap going online sound. You know, Macintosh has the sound, but the rap has the the THX sound on steroids. The one that brings you to your knees. Which makes sense. If you guys haven't seen The Quiet Place, this reminds me a lot of this kind of thing. So, and I do know, I mean, we had the whole Waco Koresh thing out here and they used music to to drive those people out, sounds and stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. I did appreciate very much how Snyder was so prepared. I mean, the breaking of his own pencil to ask for a second pencil so he had two erasers to make into earplugs. Funny. I didn't know exactly where he was going with that when it happened, but oh my God, as soon as the sound happened, I was like, that's Snyder. He's so smart. You know, like he does. Oh my God. He's so good at this, you know? Very good. And that causes enough distraction after the sentencing to cause just enough pandemonium that the Bowmans can make a run for it. And they do. And everyone does in the entire camp, which creates like enough, you know, chaos that, you know, everyone's running. I, again, just didn't see this ending coming at all. Charlie, in my book, goes out a hero, not the way that I really expect, not anything close to the ending that I expected for Charlie, because I expected him to live to the last episode. But his actions did spring Gracie. Gracie was not going to make it on her own. He helped her. He killed a guy who was going to shoot her, even though she was kind of running with... It looked like she probably broke or dislocated something having to do with her arm when she fell. So she was just kind of doing that little person trot, like, I'm hurt. I need to find my mom kind of kind of thing. And Charlie saved her. But it, it there was too overwhelming a force of gray hats there for Will and his one rifle to cover his kids. Every time he came out from behind the tree, he was completely covered. And the kids didn't know where to go until they had to come out and say, we're over here. And then that's when they were like, oh, let's change direction. And then they're running uphill. If you follow Colony on Twitter, Mm. you will have seen the most diabolical tweet in the history of Colony when they said survival for the Bowman family is an uphill battle. Oh man, Charlie died running up a hill. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You guys. It was mean. It's mean when you look back. And plus there's something about a human being trying to like, to scurry up a hill. Like if you can do the mental imagery on that, because the way they shot it was actually looking downhill at Charlie. But if you can put the hill in front of you and put the camera facing at this little boy trying to climb this hill to his parents at the top of the hill. Just a huge target, slow moving And just the saddest, most desperate feeling on everybody, on the parents, on the kid. Like, I mean, it, it is like, heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking and that's when the, that's when the covering fire just picks up like rainfall they can't even go to try and retrieve him or see if there's anything that can be done they can't know they just have to go i can't even bring myself to that that kind no, of mindset no my eyes like tear like filled with tears you guys my eyes are full of tears like if that was, I, if that was my kid i don't know that it, i mean 
I would. I feel like I would need I, to grab him. I, I would, feel uh, like we would still go. Like we'd be shot, but we would still go to them. I don't see us leaving him. Like I just not again. Not after you already did it. You know, once they only had the one rifle. I I know. I mean, it, it's an impossible choice. An impossible choice. Like you said, I do feel like they did let Charlie go out a hero. You know, by stealing that grenade and protecting Gracie so that she could run. I was kind of scared that she got shot. Did you assume it was a, a like a shrapnel kind of thing? No, I assumed it was it was I hurt my arm when I fell down kind of thing because that's I mean she I think she tripped on something or you know. oh no I think that she. I think there was some sort of, I think it was a shrapnel well, thing. Well, they didn't show blood. Uh, they just showed her holding her arm. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Well, okay. Some sort of injury there. So I held out all the hope I had, Paul, to this last scene with Snyder. Because he seemed to get kind of hit in the shoulder. I would say his shoulder blade. Uh, so like more center on his back than his side oh, of his shoulder. Wow. More centered on his back. And but that like upper shoulder, okay, uh, well, right, right where your right where the lungs the, would be on the other side. It, it, mm, yeah, yeah. Snyder, gray hats, aftermath. Lieutenant Garland, you know they they managed to get that wrap given back in that crazy clear coffin ish. You know it doesn't need oxygen or anything. And so. I don't even know how to feel about that. I mean, I guess good in that the wraps won't just wholesale kill that entire area of the survivors now. So I guess they don't even know that that's a small victory for their own lives. This whole part was so awful because in some way you have to think Snyder did coerce Vince into doing what they did. He knew it was happening right then. But in theory, you could say that he still some part of the Bowmans had a had a better shot of the occupation coming because they were going to be killed. They were about to be executed by people. So they still stood a chance by the series of events set off by Snyder, a better chance to live than they did had Snyder done nothing. So if you're singing in your head, but but Snyder started this ball rolling with the Roanoke and making the occupation come and that led to Charlie's death. That's a fact. But had he not, Katie, Will, and Bram would certainly be dead by this point. That is what makes Snyder's character an enduring example of complexity for me. If they ever meet up again, Snyder and the Bowmans, and Will ever finds out, Will or Katie ever finds out that it was his actions that led to the Grey Hats coming to the camp, they will immediately think the Grey Hats coming to the camp is what killed Charlie. They won't immediately think the Grey Hats coming to the camp is what freed us because of the pandemonium. That would put those parents in a pretty homicidal state. Yes. I don't know how he gets out of that, but it, it depends on them finding out in the first place. The Grey Hats just might have shown up uh, and that, that may be all they ever know about it. I, you know, that is a good question. If they will ever know that what really happened, if Will and Katie will ever know that Snyder, you know, convinced Vince to make the call and that's what led to the, to the occupation showing up and the crossfire killed Charlie. That's a good question. If they will ever actually know that I kind of feel like in my heart of hearts, because of so many people being dead, McGregor, Vince, you know, everybody that was really involved with the actual radio and stuff. I just don't see the right people being in the right place without Snyder himself saying, I'm sorry, Charlie died. 
because Snyder might be the only one in the position to tell Will and Katie that he is actually dead. Mm -hmm. I think it's possible they may run across him again and say, did you see Charlie? Was he helped? Was there anything anyone could do? Do you know where he is? You know, that kind of thing. And I do have to say, Colony, listen to us from our first episodes of anything. Whenever we say, you know, that is not a dead person until we see a body. You know, we complained about that, about Jennifer or anyone else. And this was shocking that they did this move. Uh, The simplest way to say it is that they showed us the body. There's no doubt for sure. And personally, even though it's a dark turn to kill a kid, I don't think this show is so dark as to involve things like the raps can actually bring dead bodies back to life and still use them for slave labor or something. I don't see us going there. I don't see us going there either. And and he was not just a dead body. like He was like a bloated body. And I mean, they made him blue already and stuff. Like, I mean, there was nothing. That wasn't just like, that wasn't just like a, maybe he could scream out like, medic, get over here. This is a child. No, yeah, he was, you know, he I mean, was he was a corpse Yeah, is the right word to say. I definitely felt like Alan was shook by the whole thing. You know, his whole, you know, I just want to get out of here. Well, the whole time we knew he wanted the Bowmans to live, but not at the expense of himself. Um, But yeah, I mean, he had been Charlie's protector, more or less, in the last couple episodes. Not uh, when they were making their escape. He had been in charge of the kids, you know? So even though Charlie didn't like him, he still ran like the the drills of how to lie to grownups and all that kind of stuff with the kids. I got to imagine that was his role at the cabin was the the parents didn't really care to talk to him. So he talked to the kids mostly seeing a kid that you basically babysat. For- and that he was calling Charles and, you know, all that stuff and joking around with. And that would get you. <sighs> and of course, all the seasons of jetting Charlie back. Yeah. I mean, don't forget. Um, I can't. I can't. Because as a a fledgling storyteller myself, I look at the decision to do that and wonder, are you killing your show? Because- I I think so. I got to imagine a certain amount of viewers who might have been iffy about this season are going to be like, forget it. Whatever. They killed Charlie. The whole show seemed to be about saving Charlie at some point, and now he's dead. So- I don't know. I don't care about this story anymore. So I think that this is a huge narrative risk for Condal and Q's. I think so, too. And if they didn't know how much we all love Charlie, I feel like that they weren't listening hard enough. And I mean, they basically killed. They might have thought that Will was the most beloved or or Katie or I mean, really, it would have had to be one of them because I don't think anyone thinks that Bram or Gracie was the most beloved Bowman. But I, I hope they really knew what they were doing. I hope they took a calculated risk and yeah. said, we're fully informed that Charlie is the most beloved character and we're choosing to kill him because otherwise, <laughs> I hope they're ready for the fallout. I mean, I know that you guys, by the time you listen to this, you will have in theory seen the episode. So, you know, the fallout will be falling. Uh, hopefully um, we will have this out in a timely way that you will be listening and the falling out is still happening. But I think this was a huge story risk. I think this was a huge series risk. I mean, we all know that Colony took a long time to be renewed and 
I'm afraid with this. Not only are they going to lose fans who just aren't going to be able to take this kind of stuff, but then also I think they might lose, you know, networks being interested unless they've got something so much bigger and badder planned, like you said, unless Charlie resurrects like E.T. style. Snyder walked away from him. I mean, he was like, let's get to Switzerland, basically, mm-hmm. and walked away. If they left anything, if they left him staring at the body, if they left him doing anything that would have made me have a little hope that like maybe that those chambers could bring him back to life, maybe something could happen, you know, mm-hmm. something. Maybe the raps have some sort of... um Remember they said that you could have whatever terms you want, you know, am- amnesty for the whole group or, or you know, a Swiss chalet or whatever. Mm-hmm. What if it, it could have been, you know, my thing is I want you to use the rap technology to bring him back or whatever, you know? Because you clearly can upload consciousnesses into balls. <laughs> they obviously know how to do something we don't understand. That was this episode, you guys. Boy, it was a really difficult one. Uh, and I really encourage you guys to listen to Colony Radio on Wednesday nights after the episode airs. It comes on 10 o'clock Central and 11 o'clock for you Eastern folks is when we're on the radio. And we absolutely love call-ins. I know that there's going to be a special guest this week. Uh, so if somehow you have missed radio time and you're listening to our podcast, the radio is still available. Like We keep them on Talk TV Talk, which is on so many shows.com. You can click on TV Talk and listen to previous episodes. And I am positive that we will be having some special guests. So please take a listen. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.